I don't know how I'm going to preach after that. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Jesus saves. <laughs> Ooh, there it is. There's the gospel. Jesus saves. Well, my name's Derek, and I'm the uh, Minister of Spiritual Development here at First Baptist Church, and it's my joy to bring today's message to you, a message that's been stirring in the hearts uh, of us here on staff, especially in Pastor Fred, for a long time. And the title is, Is Your God Too Small? <clears throat> we tend to live lives ma uh, making God so small, God of, of our design, a God of our creation, of God of our control. And that is a teeny tiny God. And that is way too small. I don't want to worship a God like that. I want a God that is bigger than I can imagine. Uh, yeah. But if I truly examine my life, I, and I'm honest with myself, and if you truly examine your life and honest with yourself, you'll be able to see places where, we, where you and I, we tend to construct a God that's way too small. And it's not just us, it's not just our lives, it's not just our society, it's not just where we live. The, the examples of this are all in the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And we've been walking through some of those uh, examples uh, in, this, in this sermon series entitled, Is Your God Too Small? First, we looked at the woman at the well. We looked at the concept of, of making God about where you worship and how you worship instead of who you worship and why you worship. About the where and the how and not the who and the why. Then we, we examined the story of David and Goliath. And uh, we looked at it from the perspective of the Israelites. And <clears throat> the Israelites were all about the show. Showing up and making a lot of noise. And making a big show. But very little substance. In their faith and, and the God that they say, said they worshipped. It was all about the show. Then we looked at the... Uh, stayed in the Old Testament and looked at the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego how they would not bend to the giant idol. Sometimes these I and and, and it was and they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they did their hair wasn't even singed it didn't even smell like smoke because there was another one in the fire who was the son of God. And that's all about making, uh, making idols. And all, like, it, this particular idol was 90 feet tall and it was in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And, to, you know, and we'll point to that and go, ha, 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 what a foolish thing to do. But just think about the idols that we create that look like ourselves. And then we worship ourselves. And we tend to expect others to bow down and worship as well. Take an honest look at yourself. In your life. And what your life says about the God that you serve. Again, we stayed in the Old Testament. We looked at <clears throat> the Ark of the Covenant versus Dagon. Right? 
and they, how Israel felt like they could put God Almighty in a box. Now, it was a beautiful box, ornate box, a box built, and God Himself said, here are the instructions on how to build it. But they put their faith in the box, and not the God who said, build the box. The, the box was supposed to remind them of, of God and not to be worshipped. They felt like if they took this ark out to battle that they would win. Well, they lost and the ark was stolen. And the Philistines put it in their temple next to Dagon. And Dagon, he knocked Dagon down. And well, they set him back up. Well, then he knocked him down, broke his hands off, his head off, and sat him all on the threshold of the temple where the people coming to worship Dagon had to step over him. All about putting God in a box. What box are you putting God in? All of these are ways that we construct a tiny God, a small God. How is your God too small? Is the question of this sermon series. Today we're going to go back into the New Testament and look at another example of making God too small. We're going to look at the rich young man. And we, this particular um, uh, record, record of, this, of this encounter with Christ, is it, we're going to be examining today is in Mark. Mark chapter 10. You know, take, turn in your Bible there, or turn in your de, on your device and go there. To Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 22. <clears throat> Before we do that, let's pray together. Look, Pray. Pray today. And that right now, at home, where you are <clears throat> watching, right here in this room, pray. That God, honestly, that God would show you and me, that show us together in this room and in rooms where you're watching, that He would show us where we are making God too small. Let's pray that now. Father, I earnestly pray that. Let that be the prayer of our hearts today. That we would honestly ask you, God, I'm asking you, show us, show me, show our church, show our nation how we are making a God that's just too small. And we worship a God that is about where and how and all about a show and idols that look more like us and trying to put you in a box. We pray, God, that you would make that very clear to us in what parts of our lives, what corners of our hearts we have not surrendered to you. Because we just think you're too small to take that corner. As we read this story now, the rich young man, show us where we are in the story. Make it clear to us. Create in us a clean heart, O Lord. And renew a right spirit in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Well, this is what I'm going to do. I want to read these verses. And we're going to read, eventually we're going to read verse 17 through 22. But I want to read the, the verses and just talk about them as we go. Start with verse 17, just read the verse and just talk about what's going on there. Okay? What's going on there culturally, what's going on there historically, and most importantly, what's going on spiritually. Okay? We're just go through each verse. And then at, when we complete that, I have three thoughts. All right? I hope that you get an email and, and it's sermon notes and more. And you can print the notes, uh, the note page, or you can look at that. And we have a new, a new thing on our website where if you go to online services, there's a place right now at our website where you can open that up and you can, you can write notes as you go right there on the screen. Now, I'm sure I didn't explain that as technically as it should have because that's not my that's not my lane, all right? But I'm, I've been there, I've tried it, it's pretty cool. Don't go there right now, all right? Because you won't hear anything. You'll be trying to figure that out and you won't hear anything. But in sermons to come, you look at that during the week and you can figure that out. It's a really, really cool thing on our website now, okay? Well, let's read the Word together. Mark chapter 10, we'll start at verse 17, and I'm going to be in the English Standard Version, and I'll be reading the verses from the screen, okay? Verse 17 goes like this. And as he was setting out on his journey, that's Jesus, Jesus setting out on his journey, and he's headed to Jerusalem, his last trip to Jerusalem, the crucifixion is waiting. He can see it. As he's heading to Jerusalem, he can see it. He can see it. He can see the hill that he created to die on for us. He knows where he's going, and he's out in front. And he is undeterred. Just think about that. Alright, so he's, on his, he's, he's setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's just wait right there. Let's just understand what's going on. I, I don't know uh, your... Um, I don't know what your version says. It may say a rich young man, a, young, a rich young ruler, a young man, a young ruler. What, and, and then the, in the title, the section in my Bible, it says the rich young man. This is what we know. He was rich and he was young and he was a man. All right? All right? It doesn't mean he was an elected official. It just means that he was really prominent in his community at, in, a, in a short amount of time. As a young man, he had reached a, a particular prominence in his community. Through his business dealings, he was, well, he was well respected. He did people right. He did business the right way. He was a young man. He was uh, of some uh, wealth, and he was well respected. His, and as far as his character is concerned, morally upright. As we'll, we, you will be able to determine this as we read and as we walk through these verses together. We'll, we'll be able to see that he was not only successful, he, he was morally upright. He did things the right way. Alright, so this was a man of some status. He probably had an entourage wherever he went. He had servants and whatever and they were just, alright. And so he's just going along and there's Jesus. Well, he picks up his garment. Because you can't run in all that they were wearing, especially a man of his prominence. He picked all that up and started running. Now you've got to understand, to run was undignified for a man of his prominence, for a man of his position. 
for a man of his possession. He picked up his garments and he's running to get to Jesus. All right? And then he knelt. He, on the ground, he's, there he is, this man of great prominence, on the ground in front of Jesus, he finds himself. That's what we need to notice from this, from this verse. He, 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 he has humbled himself, didn't care what people thought of him, ran, picked up his, I don't know, his kilt, his skirt, his clothes, whatever it is, and ran to Jesus and is on his knees. Now look, Israel was tired of being on their knees in front of people. They'd been conquered by the Romans and they were sick of it. But here he is on his knees because there's something missing. He says to Jesus, good teacher, what do I have to do to be saved? Now, I don't know how you've read this before, but my, God just opened my eyes to this. Once again, I had a small view of this story. There's a big thing going on here. I just assumed when I originally read this that this was an arrogant man who came to Jesus and said he was just trying to, to prove to Jesus that he was so good. No, he ran to Jesus, was on his knees in front of him, and was asking him, what do I have to do? Is there more? What am I missing, Jesus? Verse 17. Look, there, boy, what a sermon right there. Verse 17. Now, verse 18. Let's read some more. What we see first, I'm sorry, what we see first in verse 17 is the soul's longing. The soul's longing for some. For something more. Okay? Next we see in verse 18. The high standard. The high standard. Let's look at verse 18. And Jesus said to him. Why do you call me good? No one is good. Except God alone. First Jesus asked. Well and let's go on. Let's, we'll just do verse 18. First, Jesus asks, why do you call me good? And when I think about this, think about why. He said, then Jesus says, no one is good except God. As I roll, was rolling over this and sitting with Brother Fred, and Brother Fred's pouring into me, and the way Holy Spirit is speaking to him, Jesus is saying... What are you saying? In other words, to this man, what are you saying about me with your question? If no one is good but God, why do you call me good? What are you saying about me? What are you saying about me with your words? What are you saying about me that you have run to me? and have found yourself on your knees in front of me, and you call me good, what are you saying? What are you saying? Verse 19. Verse 19 says, You know the commandments. Jesus is saying, you, What are you saying about me? You're on your knees in front of me. You've humbled yourself. You know the commandments. Don't mur- do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. You know these, keep them. 
Now you've got to understand, right here, Jesus is quoting, he's left commandments out, right? He's, com- he's quoted the commandments that are called like, referred to, with all due respect, a second level sort of commandments. The commandments on how we relate to the world. How we relate to one another. You see, he is pointing this out. It's, it's like a test for this man. You know the commandments. Jesus knows what's coming. He, he, he knows what the man's about to say. He's saying, you know these commandments. You've done, in other words, you've done these commandments. Jesus always meets the standard. This high standard. And in this moment, he's working to a place where he's pointing out to this man, you think you have kept the standard. But there's more. There's something missing. Let's continue to read in verse 20. This is what you... There's, there's, a, there's a soul's longing. There's a high standard. And then there is a great void. Here's where Jesus gets to the crux of the matter. Look, at, in 20 he said, this man said, uh, the rich man said, and he answered to him it, and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. The man meant it when he said, I've done all these things. Look, look. I've done all these things. He meant it. He was honest. He was earnest. And and he's, I've done all this. I've honored my mother and my father. I've not killed anyone. I don't commit adultery. I don't covet. I don't defraud. I'm honest in all that I do. And I've amassed all these things. I've got all this stuff. People respect me. But something's missing still. Jesus. What is it? What is it? From a purely human standpoint, he was seen as righteous. Jewish moms and dads wanted their daughters to marry him. They wanted their sons to grow up and be like him. If they couldn't be a Pharisee, be like this guy. He was seen as righteous. And he had done it the right way. And wasn't his success the proof? But something was missing. Jesus said, you've kept the commandments. Okay. But he said, wait. Wait, Jesus. Something's missing. See, from God's standpoint, the rich young man didn't meet the standard. And he knew, the young man knew deep inside him that there was something missing. So Jesus goes on to point out to him this impossible reach in verse 21. Look at this. It says, and Jesus looked at him. Look, right here, look. Loved him. He didn't make fun of him. He didn't put him down. He didn't condemn him. He didn't rebuke him. He saw his heart's longing and he loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go, 
and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus, with a love that only the Savior of the world could have, explains to the young man what's missing. This wasn't another checklist. This wasn't another bunch of rules to follow. Jesus was saying, this was, uh, he was, this, this was Jesus' explanation of the enormity of what was missing. The young man kept the rules and it made him rich. And that had become his idol. There was a great significance in this and in, in, in what Jesus was asking this man to do. was telling him he had to do. He was telling him, you've got to walk away from your idol. You've got to walk away from your prominence. You've got to walk away from your position. You've got to walk away from your possessions as being your God. You've got to walk away. And you've got to understand this man. He, had a, he probably had a family. He probably had employees. He had people depending on him. He had this wealth that he amassed. And that was his security. He had done it all the right way. He had kept all these commandments from his youth. And something was still missing. And when Jesus lovingly pointed out the enormity of it, it rocked his world. He was flabbergasted. You know, I've, I've read this so many times and I've thought, he just didn't get it. Poor guy. He's just too rich. Just didn't get it. You know what? Jesus was asking him the impossible. Let me, get, let me tell you something. He's asking every one of us the impossible to not put our faith and security in what we can do, but to put it in Him. To leave your idol behind, whatever it is, and follow Him. That's impossible. Jesus goes on later in this chapter and talks. The disciples are like, well, goodness gracious, Jesus... Who can get saved? It's impossible. He said, you're right, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, finally in verse 22, we see the despair. The despair of self. In verse 22, says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, the rich, monk realized, the rich young man realized there was actually nothing he could do to be saved. Can you imagine? He felt like he's right. Gee, I was right. There is something missing. And the thing that's missing is impossible for me to obtain. 
although I've been working my whole life to do it the right way, and it's wrong. And he has just told me, the good teacher has told me, it's impossible. All he had done and amassed wasn't going to save him. And to follow Jesus the way he said, the way Jesus said was impossible. And only Jesus could save him. And we don't know that the, the man ever realized that and turned. Brother Fred wanted it to be so, so badly. So did I. And he looked and searched and researched, and we have nothing in secular or religious writings that tells us that the man realized that and came back to Jesus. I want to, in my heart of hearts, to believe that at some point he, it clicked and he began to systematically give away things, con, the, control, the, control, the things that he had in his life had control over him, and to give that away, and to stop worshiping that, and become more and more in love with Jesus, and follow him. I wanted so much. That's what my heart of hearts wants to believe. That is what happened. And I hope one day, my prayer one day, is that when I'm in heaven, the rich young man will come up to me and say, yes, that's exactly right, Derek. That's my prayer. But we don't know. But this is what we do know. If that's where you are, that can be the end of your story. Praise God. It can. I have three thoughts. Listen quick. Because we're out of time. Thought one. Your God is too small when you love the law more than the law giver. Your God is too small when you love the law more than the law giver. The young man was focused on the rules and he really didn't understand why the rules existed or who created them. He didn't love the one who loved him enough to set the rules. You get that? He didn't love the one who loved him enough to set the rules. He just, I wanted to keep, I just want to keep these rules so I can check the boxes so I can be successful and inherit the kingdom of heaven. So the question we have to ask ourselves, do you, do I, do we love the law more than the lawgiver? Are we so caught up on keeping the rules that we forget the one who made them? Out of love for us. Thought number two. Thought number two. Your God is too small when you can be saved by your works. Your God is too small when you can be saved by your works. His security was of His own creation. You know, I was thinking about this, this morning. How many of us are, are, feel secure because of our retirement? Or feel insecure because of our retirement. <laughs> How many of us feel secure as long as <clears throat> the guy we voted for is in the White House? How many of us feel insecure when the guy we voted for is not there? This is very difficult to overcome. To overcome. This, our 
salvation being of what we can build, what we can amass, what we can save, what we can own. Making sure our portfolios are diversified. Or other people say, well, you know what my retirement is? I'm going to work. I'm going to work until I can't work anymore and hopefully I'm going to die on the job. That's my retirement. Let me tell you my story real quick. My story began of, of my leaving this. Seeing this as the idol that it is and that continual, continually and turning my back on this idol. But let me tell you what, what started this road for me is understanding that any time, any time in the Bible, listen, any time in the Bible, when the God or through His authors or He Himself is referring to the rich, do not miss this. Any time He's referring to the rich, He's referring to me. He's referring to you. You are rich. We th- our definition of the rich is the pe- person who has a, more than we do. Let me just understand. By virtue of being born in the United States of America or living here, you are among the richest people on the planet. What you have. You don't believe me? I, I, 2013 was, as, was the closest I could come to right now when I did my research. But the average household income for the planet Earth in 2013. The average household income on planet Earth Less than $10,000 per year. We are filthy rich. The poverty level in the United States is tens of thousands of dollars. Higher than the average household income for anyone on the planet. So if you don't think God's referring to you when He's referring to the rich, then you need to expand your mind. Go outside of this country. Just go outside of this country. We're... we are rich in resources. We are rich in, op- in opportunity. This is a rich country. All right. If you wonder, if you wonder why you don't see miracles in your life, ask someone who lives in a developing country that has to walk miles to get dirty water to feed their family, or to, to give to their family. Ask them what they think the miracle is in your life. It is a miracle that I was born in the United States. A miracle. And I ought to see it that way. This is a blessing. I am rich. 
And it can't be my idol. This is not a this is not preaching against wealth. It's not. It's not preaching against wealth. Hear what I'm saying. It is not evil to be wealthy. It's not. It's wrong when it that is your idol. It's wrong when that is where your security is. It's wrong when that is where your faith is. God has blessed me with this. Now what will I do with it? To honor Him. That's where I am. That's what God has done in my life. And thought number three. Jesus did what the law and works could never do. Jesus did. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world like he loved this rich young ruler. Like he loved me. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Musicians, you guys come forward. We're about to come to our invitation. And the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He, everyone, all of us, we, we're outside of the grace and mercy of God until we understand the love that God gave. The love that God had when He gave His Son for us. If you're outside of that grace and mercy, if you're putting your faith in something other than God, if you're putting it in keeping the rules, come to Him. Come to Jesus. Come now. Come to Jesus. Come now. Let's stand together as we enter into this moment of invitation. Oh.